לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, And at the end, and in fact, in the two endings, both at the end of chapter 26 and the end of chapter 27, 
which form part of our Parsha, that we're in the wilderness. Yeah. But the Tochacha is about the future. That the point of Sinai was not to revel in the revelation, as it were, but was to take this blueprint for life in the promised land and go there and live with promise. And we have the choice. We could do the right thing or we could do the wrong thing. And one of the things I mention sometimes to my students is that the image of a path is sometimes an unexplored metaphor because a path indicates that someone has already been there. That's what makes it a path. It's already been trotted. So that when we follow a path, we're going where someone else has gone. And when we're talking before the show, Elliot, I was struck by the way that you distinguish between the part about doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing. We could go on the path that God has chosen and or we could spurn it or condemn it, but it doesn't say not go on the path because it's possible to act as if you are going on the path and do all the wrong things. And that is really the danger. The danger is not people that leave entirely, but people that think that they're on the path and actually are showing contempt. And that ends in disaster. So, and, so you're on the path and, and, and you just hate being on the path. <laughs> exactly. And, it's con- and ultimately it becomes contempt for God. Now, historically, I think the way many of us understand this is that this is a vision. It's, it's put into Vayikra as a vision of what the future will be, but actually it's a retrospective. It's what actually happened. Some things like this People happen. lost the land because of all these things that Vayikra delineates. And in case you miss it here, we have another chance in Parshat Kitavo at the end of Sefer Devarim to get a, a richer version of all the things that could go wrong. But at the very end, God will remember the covenant because our God, contrary to some popular opinion, is not a vengeful God, but a God of great hope. A God who keeps coming back to the people and says, you have messed up, but you can do better. And I can help you do better. Jeremy, I, and I, I want you to do better. Give me, Jerry, I don't know if you have a, a, a counter or, or uh, an a additional augmentation to that. Uh, that was very good, Barry. Yeah, it was Thank very you. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I, I agree, especially on that last point about the hope. I mean, like the, the quantitative difference between the good stuff that's going to happen is a few verses and then the bad stuff that's going to happen is a massive amount. So one could be forgiven for thinking that this is a total downer. But um, I, I do think that uh, you, you're really onto something, Elliot, about the the attitudinal things. It, it is about what you do, but it's also the attitude that you bring to it. And I do want to focus for a second on the beginning of the of the you know the good stuff that's going to happen, because I do think that religion for, uh, religion back in Bible times. Perhaps it made sense. Obviously, it made sense. Uh, we, we recorded it at this great length, and we keep reading it, you know, to threaten punishment. I, I don't really think it works very well to threaten punishment at the moment. What I do think religion can do is hold up a vision for what the world might be. And, uh, and just before all the bad stuff that happens, um, it says in uh, chapter 26, take off my glasses so I can see, um, verse 12, it says, And I will walk in your midst, 
and I'll be your God. And you'll become my people. I am the Lord your God. Asher took you out of Egypt, from being their servants. I'll break the yokes on your shoulders. And I will lead you. Now, Komemiut, by the way, is the only time it appears in the whole Tanakh. It's, it's called the Hapax. So this is the one time, but it's in our it's on our daily liturgy. You lead us, you you lead us. It means upright. Komemiut probably means like double tall. Like Simon Greenberg upright. Koma koma, like double tall. And I will give you dignity, and I will give you pride, and I will give you self-assurance. And there's a certain kind of attitude that you can come to this religion with with that kind of attitude, that kind of um, I think about it like just a small practice that our listeners either know about or might want to know about in the Amidah, when you when you bow, you're supposed to say Baruch Atah, and you bow down and stand up at Adonai, because at the word Adonai, you stand up because Adonai Zokef Kifufim, the Lord straightens up the bent. But in this context, it means like the contact with, with Hashem should make you come and mute. The right. contact with Hashem should should give you that dignity and strength and, and full-floweredness of, of a person. And so I think about the this parasha, yeah. before we get to the negative stuff, I think about the positive stuff, holding out a vision of how you might live as a really fully realized, developed human being at one with all your capabilities. I'm remembering Rabbi Simon Greenberg, Zichrona Livracha, who, who was so, he always stood upright and, and he was always critical if you kind of were slouched over, you know, and he always, you know, was uh, admonishing all of us to be to stand up straight. So I want to I want to propose this theory about the tochacha, okay? And and Jeremy, I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna relate it to something that you said in a different context about love and loss and and the intensity that a person experiences in loss, which is directly proportional to their relationship with the person. In other words, the pain that you've, you experience when you lose a loved one is, is in relationship to the quantity of love. You, you said it in much more eloquent terms, right? So I, I want to propose that, that the, the reaction that God has here in the Tochacha that goes on for many, many tens of verses is a direct relation, a direct manifestation of that the feeling of betrayal, the feeling of of intense need for the people that God. I'm going to frame this in terms of the 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 quest for that intimacy with the people and the the severe disappointment that God will experience. That if if you turn away, if you spur, and the, it's the contempt, it's the excuse me, it's the reaction, God's reaction to being held in contempt and to be to being dis, the, when when people are disgusted with God, it's it's that intense, and so it's it's almost. I want to. I, I I said in my class this week. I want to put God on the couch. I want to. There's there's some therapy that needs to happen here. God <laughs> has such a a. a a strong reaction, but it's that strong reaction is directly quantitatively related to his love for Israel. 
and I'm, I'm asking you to react to that because it, it's based on something that you said in terms of, in a different context of loss. I don't know if you would concur. You have to, um, I mean, I, I want to say something a little bit controversial, perhaps. I mean, there's a, there's a pattern. This is, we see this in, here we are, we're going to have this in the Haftar next week in, in, in Bamidbar. Uh, from Hosea is like, I love you so much that I have to hurt you. And oh, it's, it, there's, there's a way in which this is kind of, it raises for me, I mean, I get the emotional quality and I, I'm, I'm concerned about an image of, of punishment out of control. Like I do think that the get God on the couch thing is very relevant. Um, what I said about coma miyut is that I think that God wants to impart dignity. The tochecha kind of looks like God wants to crush dignity. And, and so the great love is, is like, this is everything in the Tanakh. This is, this is God's um, great love for the people. But um, God also has to, I mean, in real religion, we, we tell a story. We've told this story for many, 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 many hundreds of years. Um, but uh, I, I also am concerned about telling a story in which divine rage gets out of control and gets like goes goes, you know, off the chain. By the way, you should say your your the thing you said about the psychologist John Gottman, who by the way is an observant Jew. Yes, um, yeah. So so John Gottman says that that one of the great predictors of of the dissolution of relationship and the dissolution of marriage is contempt. And and so he, he says that, and this is quoted in his, and there are lots of websites and lots of videos on YouTube with him saying this. Uh, but it was most um, prominently quoted in Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink, which came out oh over a dozen years ago. And he talks about the the single most uh, prominent indicator of marital dissolution, which is contempt of one party to the other. And and in here, I'm reading you know the, this this text in terms of. Well, if that's what God is anticipating, why wouldn't you expect God to react completely off the wall? And in other words, it's the intensity of the uh, relationship. It's the intensity of the quest for intimacy with the people of Israel that has made God so vulnerable. And here I'm going to read it with, you know, charitable to God. And there was here, you know, we're trying to do the therapy, which is you really feel this way because you really love this people, because you really love this people, because you need this people, because you need to be in the world. And, and the, the, the entire existence of the universe depends on, on your being in the world. So, so everything is ultimate here. And therefore, the ultimate is being stated here. Even though I'm, I'm gonna say this as, as, you know, from the folk tradition, we read this quietly. You know, we read it. We we want we don't want it to be true. We 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 frame this text in an undertone. We 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 want to soften and cushion this the 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 vitriol of it, because we can't believe that God would do this, even though we've experienced this and worse over over the course of Jewish history. It's it's it elicits from us pain. I I you know pain heart wrenching moment of Torah. You know, in that category, it's painful. 
it's, it's, so I want to suggest a slightly different reading here. I, yeah. I think the, the failure of the Tochacha is not in the litany of curses. It's the failure of the blessings to match them. And it would, what speaks to me is that this is a human response, not a divine response. That in our lives as we live them, we have a much harder time quantifying the good than we do quantifying the bad. When something goes wrong, we have a tendency to list every single detail. When something goes right, we shrug our shoulders. Yeah, I deserve that. And, you know, as you know, there's the rabbinic dictum, we have an obligation to say a hundred blessings every day. And, you know, as the way rabbis are, there's a list of them in the Shulchan Aruch that you could consult if you want to know how to do it. But the point is that we have to learn how to recognize the blessings in our life. And in the Tochacha, we understand the anger here, but part of the anger, I think, is our own failure to be able to recognize the good in a more meaningful way than a few verses that are kind of thrown off. And that suggests to me that maybe the authorship here is more human than divine, and that the discomfort that you feel with the Tochacha is better directed to our ancestors and to us because we sin in the same way that they do in the image of our tradition, then perhaps to God. Well, that, that's a, I think that's a very useful approach. And I think, I think that that kind of takes, um, you know, for, for, for the, the community of, you know, our, our congregations and, and of course the people that are, that are joining in and, and watching and listening to us who are really, you know, invested in, in understanding and reading and learning and, and, enjoying the text, I think that that's very useful. I think it's useful to, to kind of say, you know, there are certain parts of the, of, the, of the Torah that are difficult, that are complicated, that we have to read in different contexts, that we have to, you know, really kind of examine on, on the most granular detail and, and take out from that, take out from these texts, you know, exactly a message like you're saying, which is, you know, it's not only count your blessings, but, but, understand where the focus is and where the focus of your life is. I think that that's um, very, very powerful. So we're going to segue into, into the, the second part of the, the Parsha. And, and the second part of the Parsha is, is almost like an encore. It's almost like an addendum. It's, it's, you know, it, it does truly feel like an appendix to the, the, the book of Ayikra, uh, simply because the book of, you know, the chapter that we just read ends with a verse that says, these are the laws and rules and instructions that the Lord established with Moses on Mount Sinai. And you would expect, you know, at that point, you know, that we all stand and say, you know, congratulate ourselves for reading another book of the Torah, except there's another, there's another movement, there's another, par- another chapter. And the chapter deals with you know, Ned Nidarim, the vows, the votive offerings to the temple. So can we talk for a second about this and its place here? And and the the, the direction that we want to go in, of course, is how do we value a human life? And of course, as we talk about this, we're thinking of, of precious lives that were, were cut down in um, both in Buffalo last week and in Texas this week. We're... we're, we're it's it's almost as if we 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 approach this in, as a tremendum that there's on the one hand nothing to say but there's so much to say and there's so much to react to and there's so much to 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 think about 
Because here in this text, we have, you know, a quantification of the value of a human life in, in a very, very specific context. And of course, we know that every human life, every life is precious and infinite. So how do we relate to this text? And what is this text trying to say? And I don't know if you want to try to step into this. Jeremy, I'm going to go to you. Here. Right, so let me just, I, I'm going to guess that maybe our, our many listeners aren't exactly up on what this whole votive offerings thing is. So yes. uh, the, the, in, in temple times and in, in biblical times, uh, people made gifts to the, to the sanctuary. They might make a gift of, um, of an animal or a piece of property. Um, they might make a gift of themselves. I hereby dedicate my own life or value to the, to the temple, to the sacred place. And they might, in a vestigial way, you, you, you know, we know that, the, uh, that, that at some early date, uh, all the firstborns were supposed to work in the temple. And then in the book of, of Bamidbar, they're going to get replaced by the Levite clan. And there's going to be a, an economic, you know, redemption for the firstborns. So there are any number of circumstances under which people might say, I hereby pledge my own life to the temple, which then did not mean probably at, probably at some point in history, it meant that they went and worked in the temple the rest of their lives. But at some, some later point, I said, I, I hereby pledge myself to the temple. It didn't mean that they left their families and went to the temple. It meant that they paid an economic amount for their life. Um, and it's, it's kind of weird because we are raised, you know, we as, as contemporary Jews or whatever, we're raised on the idea of the infinite value of life. And it is. That's, that's fundamental to the, the whole concept of being created in the image of God. Life is infinitely valuable. You can't put a price on it. This is why, you know, the Bible, frankly, is so... In, you spoke about Simon Greenberg. I'll say a word in his son's name. Moshe Greenberg wrote a, wrote a famous essay with the poetic title of some postulates on biblical criminal law. I mean, doesn't that title just make you want to read yeah, some yeah, postulates yeah. on biblical crime? But he, he said, listen, it, the reason the Bible is so insistent on the death penalty for, for murder is because human life is infinite and the only, you can't pay it off. The Bible insists you can't just pay, pay a debt as Hammurabi would allow you to pay a dollar figure. Uh, Bible doesn't let you do that because, because it's infinite life. So if it's infinite life, um, uh, what's up with what's up with these with these evaluations? I in fact asked that question of Moshe Greenberg directly when I was studying in his class many years ago, wow. and 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 he explained that that it's not really an evaluation; it's putting a dollar figure on the economic contribution that a person would make, um, uh, and and so this is why you know when we have a vestige of this in the Pidyon Haben that the firstborn child sort of belongs to the temple and has to be paid off for five shekels or something like that. Um, not like that, exactly that. Um, even, even still, even still nowadays, but it's, it's weird because it doesn't suit, sit with us with the idea of the infinite value of life. And, and we can think of any number of ways, even in our time when, you know, courts and, and, and legal stuff, you know, you, you do end up, placing a value, it, it doesn't mean, I, I think it was like 2.7 million is the number that jumps to my mind about the victims of 9-11 or something. It, it doesn't mean that their life was $2.7 million. It means that the, that the federal government paid that amount. Their life was worth more, but you had to come to a dollar figure and they came to a dollar figure. And so there's something like that going on here. It's very, it's very really a present thing in our minds because 
in America today, we're, we're talking about the day after the Texas shootings and you, you feel just the infinite value of all of these precious little children's lives. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the, the, the Torah says something about how, how you, how you arrive at a dollar figure, but uh, right now, I really feel this gap between between that practical thing and the the theoretical thing of of what's really infinite. Is there is there a way that we could spring from that kind of discussion? The 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 Torah is really you know fifty shekels for a man, you know twenty to sixty to to. How do we frame? How do we think about what happened? How do we how do we process this as you know, uh, in a country that that is um, very uh, shaken, I guess, but also divided, um, and um, and not so not terribly sure exactly how to how to proceed on these these questions. Is there is there is there something that we can provide here? So I would add two things to our discussion. I think the first thing is to recognize what chapter 27 is doing here in terms of the scope of the book of Ayikra, which takes up a great deal with the subject of sacrifices, what people bring to God. But chapter 27 comes to remind us that what God really wants is not what you bring, but he wants you. And that's why you put a monetary value on yourself, because you are the one who is being transferred to the Beta Mikdash to or in the case of the, the Tanakh, the, the Mish, or the Torah, the Mishkan, because that's what God demands. After everything has been said about sacrifices and the priestly service, God wants you. And as you were speaking, Elliot, I was reminded of the Mishnah in Sanhedrin, uh, I think in the name of Rabbi Meir, that when a criminal is put to death, the divine present holds its head and weeps. And I think that's the feeling that we have today in a world where God's divine image has been diminished, diminished, reduced by the victims in Texas, and God himself in the image of Rabbi Meir is crying because even God does not know what to do. But I think what we can do is look for a way to restore the value of a human life. We live in a society that has been coarsened for any number of reasons. The fact that for the last two years we've been in various stages of uh, quarantine, of shut-in because of COVID. We, we need to be able to look in the mirror, look at ourselves and look at other people, especially those with whom we're not inclined to agree as bearers of the divine image. We okay. won't prevent tragedies because we can't do that. But what we can do is promote a greater appreciation for the value of a human life. Does that include also talking about evil and talking about and and like can you imagine i mean i i i do imagine getting up and saying you know lo tirzach i mean can we hear that voice again that says lo tirzach you know it's it's and i'm not saying forget about guns and forget about all that these are huge complicated legal political problems that that none of us no single person can can even approach I, the, I, I would just add that the danger is not talking enough it's the danger is not from talking too much is that we have a tendency. I think it's rooted in our national fabric to look for simple solutions, slogans. There are no simple solutions here. There is no slogan. 
that can provide a veneer for what has happened, but it requires that we address the issue in all of its complexity and not say that it's too much for us. So, and the issue has its, its legal, political, constitutional components, but also has its moral components because we, we're, we're in a society, as you said, that, that you, know, we're, we, we, you know, we are in, in the specific moment of, of two years of isolation. I, I would add that, that you know, we, we need to look at the role of, of, of technology and devices in terms of the way it, it removes us from actual human contact with each other, notwithstanding the fact that, that mass murder events have taken place before you know, computers and social, social uh, networking. But, um, but the moral guardrails of our society that were invisible, they, they don't, they're not as strong anymore. People don't have trust in institutions that, you know, uh, synagogues and churches are not necessarily bursting at the seams for people hungry for the word of God. They're not. And, and they're getting whatever they need spiritually from whatever else. You know, you can look at, at lots of indicators of this and, and think, you know, is, is our society grounded uh, in a way that would enable it to heal or protect itself or, or guard against future occurrences of this kind of violence? I, 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 I think this is, um, you know, there are so many, as you said, this is the, the tendency to look for simple solutions is, is going to not be helpful. Um, I, I'm going to guess that most of the people who, you know, we talk to uh, think that that nothing bad can happen by reducing the number of guns out there. Sure. That, that, that mental illness, um, the violence, you know, people may have predispositions to do terrible things. And if they don't have assault rifles, they'll do fewer terrible things. Right. They, they just the capacity for wreaking havoc is just much worse if they can get their hands on machine guns. Um, but that's probably not the, the, the entire entirety of the answer either, because like any public policy questions, I, you know, I think they're like at least fair questions about what will be effective. Um, and, and just, you know, a stroke of a pen uh, is, is not necessarily going to solve every problem. Uh, I do want to say that. Um, that. Of course, religions ought to be successful. I, I hope we are successful at cultivating people's sense of the infinite value of, of life um, and the preciousness of life and the in the inviolability of of you know you just simply cannot take a life. Um, and I do think that and I do think that is a moral question and not a psychiatric question. And I clearly think that there's like some psychiatric stuff going on there too. That that people are are. Uh, you know, not not that I want to lighten the burden of uh, the moral burden of of respecting the you know inviability of life, but I also think that people are just manifestly you know un unstable as well, and I, and I don't I don't know how to handle this. I don't know anything about this individual. The Buffalo case is obviously so wrapped up with the particular um, psychosis in this country right now about about hating the other and. Uh, and that is a, you know, whatever, again, psychiatric elements are in that, and there certainly are some, that is fundamentally a moral question. And we have to, um, to whatever extent we can, you know, advance. This is the religious claim that every human, human life is, is B'Tselem Elohim and, and uh, manifest the image of God. And if we, if we can't, if we don't have success in waving that flag, then we got bigger, 
So I, I've been fond of saying, you know, and this, and, and we're approaching the end of our conversation. I've been fond of saying that that, you know, Torah, the study of Torah, actually teaches us how to how to share, and 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 disagree and, and differ and and respect and create community and bond with each other, um, and that and that, you know. In the country, while there are so many different opinions and positions on on these matters, um, there 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 doesn't seem to be a, a way of respectful dialogue uh, on principles uh, for them, uh, and 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 shared things. You know, I just I, I I was you know looking at this and you know in my own kind of way of thinking about this, you know, I, I wonder you know there, there's. There's a national day of mourning for victims of murder. It doesn't say it's not it's not a victims of gun violence. A national day of mourning for for homicide victims, and, and nobody knows about this. I, I just I googled it. Is there a national day of mourning? And there is it's September 25th. And I thought, you know, is that is, could that be a day that everybody puts aside, you know, their their differences on on the politics of this and says, you know, what we have is the tragic loss of human life. And, and as, as both of you said in, in, in so eloquent ways, you know, a loss of a life is a loss of an infinite world. And it's a, dimi a diminishment of God's presence in the world. And, and, and can we at least agree on that as a starting point for, for something? And, 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 and that if we have, we use the, 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 the modality of, of study as an example, where we can disagree on things and we can still love each other and, and create a community of learning and create a, a respect around each other. Um, is, is there some source of hope for, for us? Is it? Yeah. Can I just tell you one thing, by the way, one, one good thing sure. about that last point that you made about study and, and disagreement today, this morning, I went to, I love doing this more than it's my favorite things to do. Uh, they used to do it all the time before the pandemic and now it's much less. But groups of Israelis come to learn about through the UJ Federation or other organizations. I did one a few weeks ago with Tali educators. And today I did one with local government officials from all. They, people did a bunch of different jobs. Um, some, some were local government officials. Some were, were other people in, in, in civic life. Uh, they come to learn about There was a uh, Palestinian Israeli citizen who was a part of the group today. Anyway, I was talking with. Uh, a Haredi guy from Gilo, very interesting guy. It was a, an Orthodox rabbi, a Reform rabbi, and myself on the panel. And there's a Haredi guy who said, "Ah, oh, we need to have more panels like this in Israel. We need to." It's so, it's so sad to me that we don't have different, differing views on a panel together to talk. We can disagree. We can. We. I don't. I still oppose what you stand for, but we need to have more. And I'm like. Are you kidding me? This is fabulous. This is exactly what we need. Yes, very good. So what I would add, Elliot, in light of our discussion of uh, infinite value, is that uh, as rabbis, we believe, and as Jews, we believe that the Torah also has an infinite value. And I think that what we sometimes need to remember is that the infinite value of the Torah is not to exist in and of itself, but to create and to increase our sense of humanity. Yeah. There's something that we can do to make ourselves better human beings. And that, I think, is always a good thing. Chazak, chazak, v'nit chazek. That's a great way to, to end this conversation, a great way to end 
the book of Vayikra, which was an amazing book, complicated book, but uh, stuff that gave us a lot to think about. So I want to thank our viewers and listeners for being with us on a more uh, challenging Parsha this week. We will look forward to being with you again on the next edition of Parsha. Everyone, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shame.